0: Hello, hello, this is Colin. It's time for The Nose. It's our weekly cultural roundtable. You know, we probably should have tackled this series Abbott Elementary sooner. And now, of course, it's made a huge Emmy splash, and it's into its second season. And we absolutely want to talk about it today. Um, I think we're all pretty, you know, kind of dazzled by certain aspects of it and excited about it. And it's, you know, an example of network television that really works in the age of prestige streaming television. And it's a lot of other things besides. So we're very excited to talk about that today. We will also be talking about NyQuil Chicken. Don't make NyQuil Chicken. Don't make it. But we're going to talk about it. Uh, and, And don't be introduced to NyQuil Chicken by us and then make NyQuil Chicken. Don't do anything like that. Also, can Will Smith get back up on the screen without us thinking about the slap? hello hello it's time for the nose uh and what are we going to do this week well we are focusing we're we're kind of long overdue about doing this we're focusing on abbott elementary which has been a critical hit really sort of since it debuted on network television and that's another part of this We typically, not out of snobbery, but just, well, maybe out of snobbery, actually. For some reason, we don't typically talk about things that are on broadcast network television. Uh, According to Mr. McPants, the last time we did it was, I don't even know if it counts if it's PBS, but Ken Burns' Hemingway. That would have been 65 noses ago. So we're, we're talking about Abbott Elementary today. A little bit later, there's actually a Will Smith possible Oscar bait offering in the can already. But like, can it get released without triggering a whole bunch of memories of the slap? Uh, or are we overstigmatizing Will Smith? Uh, and even if we are, uh, is there anything you could do about that? And then lastly, something we would like you to not do. Do not make NyQuil Will t- chicken. I'm going to say that many times. I'm going to say those four words, I guess. (laughs) I'm really tired right now. Uh, I'm going to say those four words quite frequently. Do not make NyQuil chicken, but I think we need to talk about why I have to tell you that, what kind of world we are in right now where I have to tell you not to cook chicken in something that contains, among other things, acetaminophen. All right, we'll come to all of that. But uh, before we say another word, let me tell you who's on the show. Sam Hadelman works in music public relations and hosts The Sam Hannelman Show at Radio Free Brooklyn. Carolyn Payne is actress, comedian, dancer, founder, director, and choreographer Kinetic Dance, and that's like really just scratching the surface, really. Uh, and Gene Seymour is a writer, professional spectator, pop culture maven, and jazz geek. Uh, he writes regularly about culture for the CNN website, and he has in fact written about Abbott Elementary. So before we get the gang to weigh in here, let's hear a little clip. Uh, this is a one Gene. This is from the um, from the from episode one, the pilot, which just won a writing Emmy, uh, so you're going to hear a lot of the principles. I guess it's worth me going through Janelle James as Ava Coleman. She's the principal. Lisa Ann Walter as Melissa Schmimenti. uh She's one of the teachers. Cheryl Lee Ralph uh, as Barbara Howard, just also won a, an Emmy. Uh, she plays a kindergarten teacher. Quinta Brunson. I hope I'm saying, is it Quinta or Quinta? I didn't watch the Emmys. Uh, as uh, Janine Teagues. She's the show creator, show runner, and star of the show. And Kate Peterman as Mrs. Schwartz. Here we go.
1: Hey, yo! What it do, baby boobs? What y'all think about this little film crew I brought in here? Distracting. Makes our jobs harder.
2: But exciting. We about to be on TV. Because they are covering underfunded, poorly managed public schools in America. No press is bad press, Barb. Look at Mel Gibson. Still thriving. (laughs) Daddy's home, too? Hilarious! (laughs) Ava's our principal. She has a unique
3: take on her job?
2: She's bad at her job. What's unique is that she's bad at her job. There you are. Hey, but can I talk to you? I need an aide. I'm outnumbered in there. The kids are crazy. One of them told me to mind my six this morning. I don't know what that means. I need help. Calm down. They're just kids. And besides, aides cost money, and we don't have that. Right, but I just- (laughs) Do you want to spend your salary with somebody else? No.
1: No, no. I didn't think so. Well, if we can't get aides, maybe we can get new rugs? All I'm hearing is new, 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 need, need, need. And yet Barb, one of our best
3: and most senior teachers here, she never complains. What is it's just secret, Barb.
2: Knowing
0: there's not much you can do, Ava.
3: So understanding. Be like Miss Howard, people.
0: All right. In a way, that's the show in a nutshell, although it goes an awful lot of other places. Uh, but it's certainly the white hot core uh, of the show. So uh, let's get going here. Um, and so... Sam Adelman, I think you were one of the early proponents of this show, one of the early advocates for dealing with it on the nose. So tell me what it is about the show that grabbed you.
1: Um, well, first, I'll say it's probably the strongest network sitcom, I'd say, in the last five years. If I was a little more ambitious, I'd say the decade. Um, it's smart. It's heartfelt. And above all else, it's just really funny, um, which is kind of hard to balance all those things, especially on network TV. And the thing is, is that there's so many reasons to champion it, whether it's the fact that they donate supplies to local public schools, uh, the story of uh, Quinta Brunson and how she came up with the show and started at BuzzFeed, um, Cheryl Lee Ralph, you know, coming back, winning an award. I just, it it would be hard to find a reason not to like the show. Uh, I'll make this bold prediction that I think it's going to end up being uh, a more substantial show than like The Office or Parks and Rec or something of that nature.
0: We should say that like a lot of lot of shows these days including I think both of the ones you just named but definitely uh, The Office it there's a lot of direct to camera talk there's sort of the kind of illusion of a documentary being made they don't really do too much with that idea except allow the characters to look at the camera and say something uh b- but it's definitely in there by the way I would sort of at least nominate The Good Place as a network show that probably deserves to be part of a conversation like that one. Um, right but um, so, yeah, so Gene Seymour, uh, first of all, the most Philadelphia-immersed person we could possibly get on our panel, although that's actually not why we asked you. Uh, but um, but you wrote about that aspect of it for CNN and other aspects as well. So I don't know. Maybe just build on some of the stuff that Sam is talking about. If you're liking the show, what are you liking?
3: Well, First of all, I should say that I, I bumped into the pilot by accident when it came on last December, and it immediately hit me that this was smart, humane. Um, it had a sense of place, a sense of direction. If that makes any sense, all the elements were there, and all I can think of is, I better remember this because it'll be gone in two weeks. There's no <laughs> way this, there's no way this thing lasts beyond its two, weeks. and I am frankly astonished i'm not astonished by the critical reaction but i am astonished by just how widespread the popularity is and i say widespread because you know let me talk about the philadelphia part a minute. people think that when people set tv shows in philadelphia whether it's you know um drama or comedy they, they think of philadelphia as this kind of generic northeast city you know um no different, indistinguishable from Boston or, or uh, Trent in New Jersey or whatever. And it's it's really not in many ways. It's sort of, I've always called it kind of the gateway to the South <laughs> as well as the next door to the north because it has all these kind of squishy emotional variants that, uh, again, <laughs> astonishingly enough, the show captures and weaves somehow into who the characters are what they do, where they're from. Um, Melissa's character is like any number of white women from South Philadelphia. Well, did you? I
0: don't, don't you feel? I feel like Melissa's <laughs> character, the character of Melissa, knows at least somebody in Robert De Niro's family in *Silver Linings Playbook*. Right? The, those those people socialize yeah. somehow, right?
3: Absolutely, wow. they go to they tailgated Eagles games. They, uh, you know, they're, they're 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 there, and um, and I, I think it, uh, and I think it is Kent. Kind- Quinta Brunson, um, she was born and raised in in West Philadelphia, which is where I live now, um, and uh, her mother was a kindergarten teacher, and so she has. It, it, it's, she, she must have had a great attentiveness to who she was and where she came from, and again, I I'm not used to seeing these things on on broadcast television, um, probably. And very very rarely on any kind of tele- series television. So. Yeah, I mean, um, the, the, the astonishments haven't let up yet, even at the start of its first season, yeah. second season.
0: Whatever. So, yeah. Carolyn, you know, I mean, I, another name that I will invoke here, and I'm not sure anybody in the panel will agree, agree with me about this, and, and I agree with Gene, we don't typically see this stuff on broadcast television, but to a certain degree, I think one of the godparents of, of this particular style of writing by, by Quinta Brunson is Tina Fey. Uh, it's the kind of writing that she did on 30 Rock, Kimmy Schmidt was not a network thing, but 30 Rock was, you know, there's that kind of um, it's differently rhythmic. The jokes kind of run long and they're like two or three kind of mini punch lines within a joke. And there are these cultural references that go zooming past. You have to sort of reach out and grab them so you don't miss them. There's there's a kind of rich way that the dialogue works here that reminds me a lot of Tina Fey's writing. But before I, we even get to that, I don't even know whether you like this thing or not. Uh I mean, <laughs> we should start there.
2: Yeah, I know. I'm the fussy cat, but I liked this one. Um, I had been meaning to watch this because I, I just felt that it it looked, I had been hearing great things and it looked like it had really good potential to be something that's just kind of nice to put on and, and smart and funny and all those things I like in, you know, a, in sitcom comedy. And uh, so I was glad when the nose pushed me to do that because. I am kind of one of those people who loves to just put on what I'm comfortable with, especially when it comes to sitcom comedy. I will sit and revisit 30 Rock again and again and Seinfeld. And even, uh, you know, like it's always sunny in Philadelphia. There's something comforting about revisiting, you know, the shows that make you laugh. And this one, like 30 Rock, uh, has so many, like you said, the jokes are so layered and the references and stuff this is, I think, going to be the kind of show that uh, when I want to put something on like that, I would put on because it really it it fulfills that. And in watching this again and again, I even rewatched like the first two episodes again already, just because there's so much it moves at such a pace. And there are so many like nuances and details and uh, all of the performances are just so so great even if it's just like a little you know expression towards the camera there's a lot to catch so it is the kind of show that uh i i call my like cozy comedies like the kind of comedy you want to just cozy in with when you want to comfort yourself and uh it, it has that but it also uh it's it's just really really well done
0: so yeah so sam there are maybe you're the worst person to ask about this, but you're also the best person to ask about this. There's a way in which your cultural literacy, one's cultural literacy about hip hop, uh, about contemporary African American culture, uh, is a big part of being able to enjoy this. So if somebody steps out in the street and, and says it's raining like an usher video uh, or something <laughs> like that, you know, uh, like you know. This is going to fly by a certain percentage of people. I should also say, Sam, that I realized today that one of the lesser characters, the kind of secondary characters in here, is Zach Fox, who you introduced—not literally introduced me to—but uh, whose whose music you introduced me to in a particularly a cut that we probably can't even talk about right now. Uh, yeah, but there's a way done. in there's a, there's a way in which the more you know about stuff like that. Um, the more the laughs are are there, so this is kind of easy for you and maybe a little bit more complicated for other people,
1: for sure. And that's such like a difficult dance to like appeal to, I guess, my generation of humor because we see so many big budget movies or TV shows, you know, throw in a joke that they heard on TikTok and you know, call it a day. Um, I, I remember that Black Panther joke, uh, um what are those like the shoes joke? And I was like, oh, this is terrible. Like someone 45 wrote this. But that's the thing about Ab Elementary is that when I was watching, I was like, I don't think I've ever seen my age demographic more better represented on television ever. Like it gets like the ups and downs of like pursuing a career that you love, but maybe doesn't love you. And, you know, having dated references like Usher and then, you know, maybe knowing who Lil Uzi Vert is, which I'm so happy you do now, Colin. Um, but it, it's funny because, there, there's that present but also it appeals to like older people like I've been trying to get my mom to stop watching the news so much so I just put on Abbott Elementary my mom's a been a teacher for about 30 years and I could hear her laughing from the living room so I think it's just like a, a weird dance for like yes if you're in on the joke it's funny but also like the plot and just the overall writing. I think anybody can enjoy.
0: So Gene, you know, there's, uh, uh, it's interesting to talk about what the sort of beating heart of this show is because it does have a beating heart and there's a way in which, you know, and it probably does differ significantly from the writing of Tina Fey in the sense that Tina Fey doesn't necessarily need to rescue any of her characters from themselves. You know, they can be just horrible. (laughs) No,
3: because, because in sitcoms, as, as we all know, uh, the more of a type somebody is, the more they fulfill your expectations every week and you come back to see them fulfill your expectations. I think, I think, uh, I mean, Carolyn, you said that, Carolyn said that that was part of the comfort mm-hmm. of the sitcoms, that, you know, that uh, George is always going to be George. Right, and, uh, right. Nobody wants know, to see, cr-
0: nobody wants to see Kramer act normal, you know, no, so. No, of course not,
3: of course not. But I think,
0: but, but this thing yeah. is doing something different, right? I mean, as you, yeah. I, as I said to you guys, to me, I, they're almost going a little bit too far in finding the soft, creamy center in some of these, at least uh, initially, slightly unsympathetic characters. But they are at least, but they're looking for that. They're looking more for new perspectives on their standard characters.
3: Yeah. Now that there, there aren't the, the types, so so called, um, are are not going to be what you expect them to be every week, and. Um, as I said in my piece, one of, the, one of the one of the ways that this show isn't just about teaching but teaches you is is that it gently, but I think also firmly, tells you uh, not to get too comfortable with your presumptions about somebody. You know, um, Barbara, the teacher, played by uh, Shirley Ralph. I mean, she's in command. I mean, she is. She has a physical presence that commands. She, everybody goes to her and leans on her so much i mean she's on one hand you, you kind of want to talk about a beating heart some people might think that she's the beating heart but she doesn't have it all together quite she she's very insecure especially around some of the technological demands that she has she has to not only do the shoring up of her own supplies and and, and try to keep, keep keep the water from coming in metaphorically speaking on her classroom she has to learn how to do all this stuff with computers, and it's and it's, and it's killing her, you know, um, in some ways because this is not what she's used to being and not what she's used to doing, and yet we're for her. I mean, I, I don't know if it's a creamy center as you call it so much as it is a kind of <laughs> it's like biting into a nut almost, that you don't expect in the middle of the center.
0: you know. Yeah, it sort of depends. And it's also true about Barbara that she does seem to have it all pulled together as much as you can in this chaotic and unforgiving environment. Although she also hasn't really nailed her own relationship with her daughter. It's like her own daughter who we ultimately meet. That's like way more complicated than I think most of her fellow characters would have expected. So I, I don't know. I'm sort of interested in polling all of you about whether there's a character that you especially like, and Carolyn, I think I've already declared my favorite. And Janelle James is playing this principal, Ava Coleman, who, when we first meet her, seems, and I think this is in Jean's piece too. I mean, not just unqualified, but you know, kind of a little bit. Ethically bankrupt, uh, and not only unqualified, but kind of so cavalier about that, and her unwillingness to help anybody with anything, and her, her narcissistic uh, tendencies. She really does seem like she's going to be. This is you're probably too young for this. Some version of the character that Danny DeVito played in Taxi, Louie. You know, she's going to be that, but she's not. And and there's sort of two things that are going on for me. One is she's really funny. I think of all the cast members, she's the who can deliver this kind of these kind of complex comic rhythms and throwaway lines uh, that aren't really throwaway lines? I think she does it better than anybody else in the cast. But there's also something, you know, she just sort of you wind up just having to like a certain aspect of, of her because she is funny and she's, you know, she sees the joke in certain things uh, and she misses other jokes. But I'm just wondering, do you have a particular favorite, Carolyn? Have you latched on to anybody?
2: Um so i i definitely agree i think janelle james is kind of the gem of this show uh you don't want to like her you shouldn't like her you shouldn't find her at all okay as a principal as a human or anything and yet she just she's so funny um i i enjoy her i think um Melissa, Lisa Ann Walter, mm. who uh, I feel like I'm the generation that will forever think of her as Chessie from Parent Trap. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I think like this is a really great vehicle for her. And um, yeah, I, I I really think that what, I, though for me, this is really like an ensemble, mm-hmm. but I will agree uh, that the principal played by Janelle James, just she, she's like, she steals just every scene she's in.
0: Yeah. And we should probably, Sam, I don't know who your favorite, we should say a little something more about Cheryl Cheryl Lee Ralph, including the fact that she's, of course, straight out of Waterbury, uh, and then traveled through the Broadway cast of Dreamgirls to get to us, uh, and then won a very deserved Emmy, and then just set the Emmys on fire, singing a Diane Reeves song as part of her acceptance (laughs) speech. So she's having quite a little stretch of time here, Sam, but I, I don't know, who are you relating to the most?
1: Um, I actually think Tyler James Williams is like the center of the show. Um, he's a sitcom vet. He starred in Everybody Hates Chris, which I absolutely adored as a child. And I don't know, his like little like looks in the camera of bewilderment, I do that like 24 7 off camera. So I don't know, I find that really relatable. But I'm hoping that like what doesn't get lost here is that Quinta Brunson is a genius. Mm-hmm. Like to come up with this concept, create this ensemble cast find the right network for it the right formatting making sure you have vets new faces and making sure that it does have a warm creamy center which i I like you know i i love really uh negative television a lot like usually i'm watching shows about like murder or you know like ritual murder so it's nice to like switch it up and watch a show about a school and like the fact that it's so authentic like like i said earlier like i've spent a lot of time with my mom at work with her friends, seeing her out in public. And uh, I, I'm going to point to something that Jean said, like um, when COVID came around, my mom had to like learn how to do technology and it was really frustrating for her. And I like saw that so authentically in Cherilee Ralph that I was, it, it, uh, it's rare to see a show that pulls this off so well. And genuinely. And also, I'll say, like, I think the writing reminds me more of Living Single than anything Tina Fey did, personally.
0: Mm. Well, it's a combination of a lot of different things. And actually, you've just got me thinking about something else, which I'll flip over to Gene, which is yeah, I mean, we should say this is absolutely uh, an ensemble comedy. Uh, and ensemble comedies. You know, they kind of go through different modifications. And for a long time, you really did need a character like Janine, the character that Quinta Brunson plays. Uh, You know, it was Mary Tyler Moore in The Mary Tyler Moore Show. It was Judd Hirsch on Taxi. You always needed that kind of person who was more or less normal, more or less you're good spirited, good hearted, wanted everything to turn out well, but was surrounded by dysfunctional people, by amusingly cynical or evil people, by people who were just obviously in touch of, with different realities. And I think that tradition carried over at least into Leslie Nope on Parks and Recreation. And I think Brunson is doing that in a really nice way. She's. She and and I would say also the character that Sam just mentioned too, the character being played by Tyler James Williams. Greg uh, is they're Also, we we need an on ramp, right? We need people who are a little bit more recognizable to us, and they're doing that very well.
3: Well, not only I mean part of the genius, if you want to call it that, and I don't use that word lightly, but I think it probably applies here is that it isn't It isn't just that you have so many different types of people melding, which is what we always call an ensemble, but you have different styles of comedy, you know, kind of working here at once. I mean, everybody, even, even the custodian, Mr. Johnson, who, um, <laughs> I mean, I have to tell you, I mean, you asked me who my favorite character is. He's not necessarily my favorite character, but he's the one I'm most interested in finding out more about every week now. <laughs> um it's just like oh you're in the olympics really you know all that stuff, all that. <laughs> but, uh, but but uh but you know i mean it's it, it's all part of the classic formula i mean ava the principal is is part of that classic formula you, we, we wait for ava the way we waited for ted baxter to walk into the room saying hi guys mm-hmm. you know <laughs> and then wait for it, what happens next but getting around all of that i think the reason why and if you want to then you want to ask me who my favorite character is, I'm going to have to say it's Janine for all the reasons you mentioned, because yes, she's a center of, yes, she is a, a kind of a center of gravity, but if so, she's a center of gravity that spins and mm. is spinning and is struggling to, for some kind of gravity her, herself. And that's, on the one hand, that's a very risky thing for a story you're trying to sell, but it's also something that makes it more endearing, somehow, and all and all the different combinations of styles and personalities that work together uh, are would hit the mark here. And again, um, I was astonished that not only that it all worked, but that everybody likes it. I was I was not expecting that. You
0: know? <laughs> All right. So uh, a lot of ways in which uh, television and perhaps we as an audience are somewhat redeemed by this show. Uh, it's called Abbott Elementary. You can catch up with it right now on Hulu. Uh, It's an ABC network uh, offering also. Uh, And uh, that's all we're going to say about it for now. It certainly has already gotten quite a bit of great publicity, uh, two major Emmy Awards and a whole bunch of other nominations as well. We're going to take a little break. We'll come back. We have more to talk about.
1: Support for this podcast comes from
3: Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. The FDA has recently approved ZEPBound, a new medication for chronic weight management. Dr. Davida Umashanker, Hartford HealthCare's System Medical Director of Medical Weight Loss, tells us
2: more. ZepBound helps decrease hunger and increase satiety levels. Taking this medication for 72 weeks, people can see at the highest dosage approximately 48 pounds of weight loss. So definitely a powerful drug and another powerful tool that we have to utilize to help individuals who struggle with obesity.
3: For those ready to explore their medical weight loss options, Dr. Umeshanker has advice on the first most important step.
2: I don't think anyone knows you better than your own primary care physician. So having that conversation whenever you feel ready is so important because these medications are quite powerful and do need to be monitored on a regular basis.
3: To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash elevating
0: health. And we are back. It's the nose. So we've been talking about Abbott Elementary with Sam Haddelman, Carolyn Payne, and Jean Seymour. We're going to move from there to um, to the situation in which Will Smith now finds himself. I'm really bad at uh, math and time, and I'm also, as I said before, really tired, but I think we're sort of almost at the midpoint between this year's Oscars and next year's Oscars, and it turns out, according to the New York Times, and I think I'll just read this as an intro, uh, that Will Smith is the star of Emancipation, a film set during the Civil War era that Apple envisioned as a surefire Oscar contender when it wrapped filming earlier this year. That was before Mr. Smith strode onto the stage at the Academy Awards in March and slapped the comedian Chris Rock, who made a joke about mr smith's wife jada pinkett smith mr you all remember this mr smith also won the best actor award that night and has surrendered his membership in the academy since then uh, and has been banned from attending any academy related events including the oscar telecast for the next decade uh, and now Apple finds itself with a $120 million unreleased award-style movie featuring a star no longer welcome at the biggest award show of them all. And the big question, can the film, even if it su- succeeds artistically, overcome the baggage that now accompanies Mr. Smith? So we found out as we were getting ready for the show So uh, that uh, Sam Haddleman, if anything is going to make him turn into the Hulk, um, it might be this topic. Uh, and since you're actually, I just found that you're in Chicago now, Brooklyn, I feel even safer from you uh, if you become very angry. So talk a little bit about why this would be making you angry.
1: Uh no, I'm going to keep it calm today. I did a little yoga earlier. Um, <laughs> I just um, I thought it was so ridiculous. I thought the whole spectacle, people were treating Will Smith like a war criminal, like they were like waiting for the Oscars verdict on his banning like the January 6th trials like it was nuts like go get a hobby start crocheting read a book Jesus people like I, I mean I understand it's a spectacle I get that and I understand the immediate response but if Leonardo DiCaprio had done the same thing I promise we wouldn't have been talking about it in the same scope or for the same amount of time and the outcome definitely would not have been as negative as it is for Will Smith um I think it's prime time Hollywood learns accountability. I just highly doubt Will Smith is at the top of that list, and yeah, still going to go home and watch *Fresh Prince*. <laughs> there you go. So
3: certainly, it certainly wouldn't would have been as severe yeah. if it was Leonardo DiCaprio or anybody else of that stature. I mean, I, I mean, I I, be, I I do believe that. Um, I mean, my reaction to the slap has been pretty simple and basic, and it remains what it is now as it was four or five months ago. Dumb joke, dumb response, you know, file, file and forget, you know.
0: (laughs) But Carolyn, beyond that, there's sort of another question, which, which is, I mean, I think we can all agree Well, maybe we can all agree, like a 10-year ban seems kind of extreme uh, for something like this. On the other hand, it was unprecedented. Nobody had ever seen anything like this at the Oscars. Uh, The Oscars are kind of the ultimate high holy day for the movie industry. So if you do something there, uh, you know, it's going to be seen by a lot of people and it's probably going to be remembered. And no matter what set of values we might attach to however Will Smith is being punished or stigmatized, there are some real practical considerations if you're Apple, which is like, OK, if we release this movie, can people watch it on its own merits? Or are they just going to be thinking about that the whole time? I mean, they're definitely going to be thinking about it for the first couple of minutes that they see Will Smith on the screen for the first time since the slap. But can they kind of get over that and get into the movie? And that's that's a fairly interesting question.
2: Well, I mean, it. it... He is, I think, a good actor at the end of the day. So I'm sure once you get past the initial couple of minutes of picturing him slapping Chris Rock, like you're gonna get invested in the movie, ideally and hopefully that you know the movie is good enough to kind of take you away from the reality of of him and and what everyone now thinks of him. But I feel like I feel like Will Smith was not necessarily really high up in likability before this anyway I feel like he uh I I feel like he and Jada had had the past couple years there's been a lot and if in fact if you google like Will Smith unlikable articles come up from like 2017 where I think he's sort of had this uh this kind of slow fall from being this uh, this idol of this kind of like nice guy this like fresh prince image um and you know there's been controversial stuff With his kids and his relationship with Jada, and but I think it's just another example of like you have to celebrate. I mean, separate the art from the artist. So I think it's kind of ridiculous to punish him. There are a lot of like reprehensible people out there. A lot of actors, like you know, behind closed doors, like you wouldn't like them as a person at all. So his is just complicated because it was such a public, publicly bizarre occurrence in a very you know, and in a climate where violence is taken very seriously. So I think he kind of ended up with this build where he was sort of kind of on this path to unlikability, and then that happened. And now uh, I don't know, I, I would kind of, I would like, I'm with Sam. I, I kind of want to see him have a comeback though. I, I think he deserves that. And I, I, I think 10 years to ban him from the Oscars is a little, cause that's definitely going to affect his career. He's going to just, I mean, What's he gonna do? Like B movies that aren't gonna get Oscar buzz, really, just to protect?
1: Because <laughs> well, no, he can still win an Oscar. He just can't. He go can still
2: that. win, but he can't go. But still, if you're the movie that has that, that changes how that that changes how you're gonna feel as a producer and for the film too, in some ways. So I think it's gonna be interesting to see how this plays out for him.
0: Yeah. And Gene, it's happening at a time when we're especially bad at doing the thing that Carolyn just talked about, separating the person from the role. And, and it's, it's, it's a problem that's compounded by the fact that we also know a lot more about certain people than probably it was possible to conceal from us in the age of the studio system in Hollywood. So I don't know, like every time, for example, every time I go, I think I've done this at least twice. Gone on the air and said, I don't care that Kevin Spacey did some bad things. He's a great actor. I want to see those <laughs> Kevin Spacey roles. I want to see, I want, I don't want him banned from acting because the stuff that he does is so great. And then something else will come out. <laughs> They'll get another thing, you know, there's just another drip, drip, drip from the Kevin Spacey faucet. I mean, and there's a, as Carolyn says, there's a little bit of that with Smith, right? They've had some other bad publicity and some stuff about their marriage. And then weirdly, many Men's rights groups were getting mad at Will Smith, for, you know, which maybe he felt like he had to prove something by hitting Chris Rock. But I, I don't know. I feel like we're—it's a bad time to have a problem in your non-on-screen or on-stage life because we're we're so inclined to blow those things up.
3: We're well. I hate to sound like one of those old people who who kind of doesn't say I'm not saying get off my lawn or anything like that, but. <laughs> You know, I'm, I've am i seen this before to some extent. I've seen little brush bars like this that stayed little brush bars because no one was inclined to do this. I can remember, this may be a bad example, but I can remember when I was a TV critic, I was writing about this Barbara Walters interview with Sean Connery, where he basically <laughs> is so relaxed and at peace with uh, Barbara Walters that he mentions how you know, sometimes it's not a bad idea to, to, to hit a woman. To you know, that's not or something. Whatever, whatever the quote was, and and the way it came out, people were aghast. Mm-hmm. You know, they just thought, you know, how could he say this? How? Could, and this was like back. I think it was like nineteen eighty something, eighty eight or something like that. Now, as 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 we all, as I need not tell any of you, that would be grounds for like you know excommunication. From from Hollywood and probably from the human race, hmm. if that were to come out now. Uh, but it's always been there. These, these uh idiosyncrasies, for want of a better word, I mean, they've always been there. And uh I don't know why we treat any of these as 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 novelties or or certainly as as sanctions. I mean, I understand that we're trying to be better people at this, and we're trying not to be as dismissive of things like you know, spousal abuse and things of that nature. I don't, I don't, you know, I I don't know if if what he said even hits that level of the meter from what I remember, but I've been here before so many, I've seen this wheel go around so many times that uh, I, I can't get myself worked up about, about uh, well, yeah, it was a shock when it happened. It was like somebody did something unspeakably crude and violent in your living rooms and, but after that's over, and maybe a couple weeks later, you say, "All right, we'll have you back over, but you got to promise to do X, Y, and Z." Right. So, why is, why is that? Why is that not? Why is that not? Simple? Yeah,
0: there should be a road to redemption, I, I think, and, yeah. and we haven't. We're yeah. not really good at building those. Sam, um, yeah. we got to get over to Night Cool Chicken pretty fast here. But one last thing that I, I want to bring up, just for the sake of discussion is there's sort of another person in this story. His name is Chris Rock. And really the minute that happened, his comedy career changed, you know, and and it it could change for the better. He could, he could do a Mulaney, you know, and and sort of take what happened to him and just turn it into director of a comic material or he could feel just super uncomfortable for a long time, you know, about having to go into a situation where he has to deal with it. Um, And, I think it's sort of worth at least noting that, you know, that of the two people, he didn't really have much choice about it. He did tell a stupid joke, but he didn't have much choice about whether he was going to get hit or not. (laughs) And and he didn't have that much choice, therefore, about what it was going to do to his career.
1: I mean, we do hate to be this guy, but we do live in a society where people love to hide behind keyboards and you say something crazy and you don't expect anything to happen to you. And I'm not going to say it, but... um, (laughs) i uh i'd also like the flag i mean i was i was kind of pulling my hair out and then got my camera's off but like to bring up kevin spacey when we're talking about like but, uh, compare with kevin spacey yeah, yeah. Uh, no i agree I uh, get yeah. Yeah. yeah but like I, this was like something that i brought up to someone i was like okay let me do a hypothetical this was like an older person i was talking to i was like okay roman polanski and will smith walk into the oscars who do you want kicked out first And they hesitated. I was like, what's wrong with people? But I think Chris Rock will be fine. His stock's going up. Um, I wasn't really worried about Chris, like, you know, winding up out in the street,
0: drinking out of a paper bag or something like that. He's going to be okay too. (laughs) All right. And I certainly but he might he might, Sam, he might just feel so despondent and so in need of some kind of relaxation that he thinks, you know what, I'm going to take some of this NyQuil. And I'm gonna cook chicken in it. Uh, so, so I have to sort of set this up a little That's bit. The worst uh, scent way I've ever heard you do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. I think that was pretty terrible. So, um, so there is a thing. It's going on around on the internet. I cannot emphasize enough. Please do not do this. A acetaminophen, which is one of the ingredients of Nyquil, is like all by itself kind of dangerous to your liver. I mean, you should be really careful how you take Tylenol or anything like that even under normal circumstances. Neither I nor much of anybody else has any idea what happens when you heat all this stuff up. But probably you're going to concentrate it a little bit more. So cooking anything in NyQuil, you just use NyQuil the way they tell you to if you have to use it at all. But that doesn't change what happens on the Internet, which is like this thing. It was an old meme, apparently, that suddenly got revived and suddenly there was the the ticking and the talking was happening and and suddenly people are... (laughs) are talking about uh, NyQuil chicken. So I don't know, Carolyn, I feel like you're the right person to go to about this, that you will have some kind of uh, handle on this beyond, obviously, the ever-repeated precaution, do not do this.
2: Yeah, definitely don't make NyQuil chicken. Mostly just because like, did you see pictures of it? It's disgusting looking. (laughs) It's like lime green or like some putrid blue. So I don't even know why this would be appetizing. Um, The other NyQuil chicken is also known as sleepy chicken. And (laughs) uh, I, I think this, I've been following this. It's so absurd because it, this is something that was like trending a while back that somehow now, because this statement was released by the FDA, it like brought it into this cultural zeitgeist and everyone's talking about it. Whereas before it, I don't really think people were actually talking about it Um so I think they created their own mess with this. And also, if you go to search for sleepy chicken or nightful chicken on TikTok now, it like pops up with a warning about dangerous challenges, uh, which is at, at least at least we have that. But I mean, this is so ridiculous. I, I Sam mentioned like the Tide Pod challenge. I guess like I, I mean, I'm a millennial and this makes me look at like I look at Gen Z and I'm like, no, no, no. No, (laughs) I I, I am the old person now, like shaking my cane, rocking in my chair, saying, get off my lawn because this NyQuil chicken thing is so absurd. But I also kind of don't actually think in any way that it was a thing, although maybe it's just like, you know, we're all just having so much trouble sleeping. The idea of sleepy chicken, the idea of my dinner, just like combining. But wouldn't you just use Zquil Because I think that has less bad stuff in it.
0: Like, but don't use anything. Let's let's not propose alternative methods of doing this. I was going to say, you're, you're, that's an option? Yeah. Oh. So um, that's why I should just say, because it's a great line that I just got slacked by uh, Jonathan McPants that uh, sleepy chicken is just turkey, right? Um, which is a pretty good line. So, but, you know, so, Gene, let's be old men here, you know, sure. much, much older and crabbier than Carolyn, Carol and, and with less student debt, too, than Carolyn yep. probably has. So um, there's... Love I feel like the internet and things like TikTok have turned us into a nation of three-year-olds. You know, with three years, you have to tell three-year-olds. You have to tell them, no, that's a two-penny nail. You don't put it up your nose. You know, don't don't eat a Tide pod. Give me that Tide pod. Give it. You know? <laughs> but it's like yeah. we are having to tell adult people not to do these things. It's been going on for some
3: time now. But I, I was, I was, I remember when. Tide was not, only the Tide Pod thing, during the whole period, Tide was like, you know, embargoed in some grocery stores un- underneath the counter. And it was like, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> it's like, and, and you know, the thing about three-year-olds is that it doesn't matter, at least my memory of raising a three-year-old is, it doesn't matter what you tell them. They're going to do it again anyway. Um, today, it's World Chicken. Tomorrow, it'll be, you know... Uh, Almonds, almonds, almonds almonds with uh, with with Tylenol. I mean, you know, I I don't know. I mean, it's uh, I'm not surprised that these sort of things have happened. And again, I I think back to what was going on in the 1920s when people were just prosperous and bored and did this stuff, you know, uh, this this, this outrageous stuff to to get attention. I, 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 I can't imagine that this kind of uh, whatever this is this ennui this is gonna go on much longer <laughs> at least I hope it doesn't but uh, I I don't quite feel that um, that 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 anyone's really persuaded that 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 this that this threshold we've been going, Hasn't been breached already. In other words, I think I think we may have passed the tipping point on this. All right, so
0: Sam. um, First of all, I just want to say my favorite sort of meme or social media response to this that I saw. Uh, was somebody tweeting, uh, forget about the, the Nyqual chicken. What about all that delicious cotton candy up in the attic? And it should have, you know, a picture of all this pink insulation. And, and I feel like Putin is looking at this and going, oh, this is no problem. We can kill all these people. We'll just put up things on TikTok for them to do that are uh, uh, quite dangerous. <laughs> but um, so, so. but Sam, as our, our Generation Z spokesperson, you can close out this segment any way you want, really.
1: Um, I'd also like to say, like, I'm not sure if I'm Gen Z or millennial, like 97 is like the middle child. I was, I was having a conversation with like this loyal column listener, my friend Maddie, and we were talking about like how it's like a weird middle child dynamic. Anywho, this isn't real. Um, nobody is putting NyQuil and chicken and eating it. This is the Tide Pod thing all over again. Remember when they locked up Tide Pods because they were so scared yeah. and they locked up with I've also I'll also say I've been served much scarier chicken at certain demographic households. (laughs) Um, So the NyQuil chicken thing, unfazed, not real. They're going to start locking up chicken breasts because of this. Yeah. All right.
0: So, yes. Well, all right. That's as good a place to stop as anyway. And we're sort of running low on time. So we'll come back. We'll do some pretty quick recommendations for you after this.
1: junk in, man. I don't know what to
3: In the U.S., we tend to think of slavery as a Southern thing. Slavery in New England has been intentionally erased. The story we tell is this is family slavery. So it comes off as very benign and not dehumanizing. Coming March 18th, a special series, Unforgotten, Connecticut's Hidden History of Slavery. Visit ctpublic.org unforgotten.
1: Funding provided by the Wadsworth
3: Athenaeum Museum of Art and the Amistad Center for Art and Culture. Connecticut's own Jacques Pepin is a culinary icon. When you make a contribution to Connecticut Public today, you can experience a once-in-a-lifetime dinner with the acclaimed PBS chef and author on Monday, May 6th at the gorgeous Oceanfront Madison Beach Hotel in Madison, Connecticut. Sponsored by Isana Plastic Surgery Center and Med Spa and Fuchs Financial. For
0: tickets, visit ctpublic.org Pepin. All right, we're back. Time to say some thank yous in place of our usual cat pastor uh, in the control booth. Our technical producer today is Gina Matruda, the master of this entire domain here. Uh, As usual, Jonathan McPants is producing The Nose. Let's go to our panel and get some recommendations. Sam Hadleman, why don't you get us going?
1: Okay, I have two recommendations. One is uh, HBO's Industry. Um, I don't really like shows about money outside of succession. I find it quite boring, but this is thrilling it's a show about like an international banking company and uh this this young woman from america who's kind of faking it till she makes it and it's unreal I, you have to watch it and then uh the second one i'm going to recommend is uh this new album that came out i never felt none by estg um he's more of a intense rapper but it's it's uh interesting because he's quite sad like it makes me want to like run through a wall and maybe cry a little bit so yeah i'll recommend those two
0: all right. Thanks very much, Sam Haddleman, uh, host of the Sam Haddleman show. Uh and Carolyn Payne, what have you got for us this week?
2: Um, two things real quick. One is uh the show The Resort on Peacock. Uh it's a fun little, you know, everyone loves a good murder. Um, it kind of (laughs) fills, it fills the void of sort of a white Lotus. It takes place obviously at a resort in Mexico. It's this young couple who their marriage is just kind of in the dumpster and they go on this vacation and they accidentally stumble upon something that, they decide as evidence from a crime that happened a few years ago where a young man uh, died at at the resort and they take it upon themselves to solve this during their vacation. Um, It's super fun. And also uh, I am endorsing that people Google and look up the cat art show that's happening in LA right now, which is part of CatCon, which is a ridiculous thing that I kind of wish I could be going to. Um, This year they are featuring art that is all about Nicolas Cage and his, uh, quote, best friend, a cat named Merlin. Um, So I just recommend going if you uh, go on Instagram to Cat Art Show L.A. and check this out. Uh, It is it's it's yet another fine Nicolas Cage uh, appearance.
0: (laughs) Nicolas Cage is the all purpose utility knife uh, of celebrity. He can be anything. Uh, All right. Gene Seymour, what have you got for us?
3: Well, I had two, but I think I'm going to have time for one. Uh, and I'm exercising my prerogative as the mayor of jazz for the Colin McNamara yeah. show to mention that, uh, first of all, this has been a great year so far for Latin jazz. Uh, and one of the very best albums that I've heard this year so far uh, is by a, is led by a trombone player you and I happen to like a lot, Ryan uh, Keberly he has a brazilian ensemble brazilian he has many many different bands but he has a he has a brazilian quartet and his new album is called Sonhos da esquina um you may have to look it up but it's a tribute to uh, to uh, brazilian composers writers performers uh, milton nascimento and uh, tonino horta uh, and it's a beautiful beautiful album you know you, you know if you've heard him play the trombone he pl- the tone is like it's like nothing you could ever associate with. It sounds like a whole different instrument when he plays it. So I recommend that. And if I have mo- if I have time, I want to say how much I'm really enjoying the third season of Star Trek uh, Lower Decks. Um, it's it's now becoming my by my favorite. St- it's an animated series about these low level officers who on, on a low level starship. It's funny. It's very self-referential without being too cute. It, it pleases the, the fan base, but also I think the main thing that it, that it offers us is valuable is that it teaches us or reteaches us all that <laughs> there is no way anybody gets out of high school. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. You have to watch it to see if you're
0: All right. And by the way, Ryan keberly is K-E-B-E-R-L-E. Uh, he's the person she's talking about on the trombone. Steve davis Allis will be my number one trombonist. But Ryan yes. Keberle, pretty darn good, yes. too. So I'm just going to recommend kind of – I was looking for something in the spirit of Abbott Elementary. There's a show that is just working its way out on Hulu. Uh, I think it's three episodes out. They may have dropped them all at once. It's called The Reboot. It makes fun of the whole trend of rebooting classic comedies from – 20, 30 years ago. That's what they're doing on this one. Obviously, it's a fake comedy. Uh, One of the stars is Keegan-Michael Key, who very easily could have been one of the great things on Abbott Elementary. I could see writing him a terrific part on that. I think he's, the next 10 years of this guy's career, as is the case with his former partner, are going to be really interesting to watch. Anyway, he's great. It's the strangest cast, though. It's him, Johnny Knoxville, Rachel Bloom from My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and Paul Reiser uh, as this kind of crabby old uh, you know TV director who's also being rebooted. So it's called The Reboot, uh, it, and it really is genuinely funny, too. It's the same kind of sharp writing that we're seeing from Quinda uh, uh, Brunson so, uh, on, on Abbott Elementary. Alright, so thanks to everybody who listened today, and thanks to Gene, and Thanks to Sam and Carolyn and, and the other Jean, too, and Pants, and goodbye. Talking about this, and talking about that and talk about everything as a matter of fact Oh, yeah Talk about Torrington, Vernon, Danbury, Waterbury, yeah. Oliveberry, Woodbury oh. hitting
3: on New Britain, Vernon, I already said that one Avon,
1: Farmington, yeah, 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 yeah